Hey everyone, welcome to Thomas and the Bible, uh, episode 5, last episode of the week. It was a fun and interesting first week because I learned a lot. Um, I've listened back through the episode, sort of tried to gauge, you know, uh, my shortcomings and what's going on. I, I think uh, I think I'm learning every time and hopefully improving every time. Of course, if you want, you can always send me uh, thoughts or comments, suggestions, death threats, life threats to comments at thomasandthebible.com. But, uh, okay, having said that, we're on chapter 21, Genesis, and let's get right into it. Verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived... And bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. That could have all probably been said in 2.3 sentences rather than five verses, by the way. But anyway, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the children grew and was and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of... So, basically, what's happened is Sarah has had a child at the age of uh, something like 99, 100. Abraham is 100. She's, I think, 90, something like that. So, really, when you think about it, her son Isaac's birth is just as miraculous as Jesus's supposed virgin birth. I looked it up, and the uh, the world record for the oldest successful pregnancy is 66 years old. And this is with in vitro fertilization. So it wouldn't even be uh, – the, the record would not even be close to that without the use of in vitro. So even in our postmodern world, 66 is the best we could possibly do with the best technology. So – Combine this with the odd, and this was in vitro. So this was, so this this isn't taking into account the other variable, which is getting a 100 year old man to <laughs> be able to first perform sexually, and <laughs> second being uh, fertile enough to to impregnate this woman. So pretty much the odds against this birth were just as great as the odds against Jesus's birth. Um, I, I would say it's easily just as miraculous. It's easily, it's since neither a virgin birth or this birth is really remotely possible. It's pretty close. I guess that's not strictly true, but, uh, just because they could both never happen, but still one could be more likely. But for our purposes, the fact that neither has ever come close to happening uh, makes them, at least on some level, the same amount of miraculous. And uh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe Jewish people, uh, do they worship Isaac with the same amount of uh, reverence, I guess, as Jesus? Maybe I guess Isaac didn't go on to t- 
teach as much, but it sort of cheapens the miracle birth thing. Especially when actually there have been some other parts of the Bible where there, God's, you know, there have been barren people and God's made them fertile again. I, I think it's uh, it cheapens the virgin birth thing. So that's effectively worthless now. Okay, moving on. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, oh, I already read this. I'm sorry. Uh, ah, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be with, not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Okay. This is a, this is a good opportunity here. This is an opportunity to show how religious thought is I find it really interesting. On on one hand, they're working harder than anyone in the world because they already have their conclusions and they're finding a way to get to them. So in some ways it's almost like you're 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 handicapping them like you're you're tying a weight to their brain and telling them, you know, get get to here. And uh but on the other hand, when you do that, you're neglecting the most simple possible answers that really, really makes it seem dumb. What I'm talking about here is uh, I was reading the Adam Clark commentary, and uh, if it was just Adam Clark, I wouldn't make too much of it because I don't really know much about this guy except that he, he's, I think he's revered, but anyway, he talks about all kinds of different conjectures. Not just his, but other people's. All kinds of different conjectures as to what the son of Hagar, uh, Ishmael, if you remember, was doing to mock Sarah. The sentence was, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Just just to uh, uh, recapitulate re, uh, this here, um, Hagar was the... the uh, what's what's the Bible term for it? Uh, prostitute? No. Hagar was the handmaiden that Sarah essentially said when Sarah was barren back in her barren days, her uh, you know her barren phase she went through. Uh, she told Abraham to just you know enter in unto my handmaiden Hagar. So uh, that's what that is, and uh, so that's that's what's happening there. And so there's all Adam Clark presents all these different guesses. One person says uh, Ishmael was mocking Sarah's old age, you know, mocking the fact that she's so old and she's having a baby. Uh, another person says uh, it was some sort of uh, weird idolatry. They try to ma- they try to make it into something like that. Um, and I, I wonder if this has been as obvious to you all as it as it is to me. Let me read that one more time. And Sarah, Sarah's just given birth to Isaac. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Is it not completely obvious to you that that's not a physical, literal mocking? Not like Ishmael's going, you know, like, obviously it's not that. It's it's the fact that Ishmael exists is mocking Sarah. Isn't that the most obvious conclusion you could possibly come to? I, I mean, it, it just forget all this uh, religious crap. Just, just pure 
uh, literature interpretation, just just pure uh, criti- uh, analyzing the text here. Uh, she's just had a son, uh, and she's she she sees the bastard child of her husband mocking. Isn't it completely? What in the world would the son be doing, mo- physically mocking her? It, it's ridiculous. I'll tell you why this is obvious. First of all, how childish would it be for a 100... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just real quick. Uh, the verse after that, she says, uh, she asks Abraham to cast them away. Basically, basically killing them in, in, in some ways. Because remember, we're in a desert here and things, you know, you, you need to, you need to sort of stick together to survive. Um, I mean, it's not certain death by any means, but casting them away is, that's going to be pretty harmful to them. So, so whatever's happening here, whatever is, is, um, inspiring Sarah's actions is so bad that she's willing to cast away her, her handmaiden. So think about that. And, uh, and here's why this is my interpretation is obviously correct and, and, uh, Adam Clark's, as well as all the people he references, is just ridiculous and and obviously ridiculous. How the, the reason is this: How childish and ridiculous would it be for a one hundred year old woman, or ninety or whatever, completely mature woman, to let the mocking of a thirteen year old child get to her so badly that she wants to essentially kill him and his mother? How bad would that that mocking ha- like? No, you're old. I'm not. You know, like what? <laughs> what mocking could that be to 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 inspire that in a mature woman? That either makes Sarah the most ridiculously childish person in the world, or 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 it makes Ishmael the most expert mocker of all time. You know, it's it's ridiculous. And the second reason is even simpler. The next verse. Uh, verse says, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac, end quote. Note that she didn't say, cast out this bondwoman, for her son was mocking me, he was being really mean, it made me mad, and I'm just, I, eh, I don't, I don't like them, just cast them away, they're, oh, they're mean. That's not what it said. <laughs> And it's so obvious to me that that it's just the mere fact that Ishmael lives, which is mocking Sarah. And it's just—I I hope that's as obvious to you guys. And, and by all means, email or or whatever, comment if if you think this is—I'm incorrect. But it seems pretty darn obvious to me. And what it looks like to me is that Adam Clark's trying everything he can, and all these other people trying everything they can to make Sarah. Who is Sarah and, and Abraham, who are the more chosen people in this book, uh, in this particular, at this time, I think they're trying to make them look as good as they possibly can. But the ironic thing is that they completely fail at doing that. Because look at, look at my interpretation. Here you have a woman who is forced to live right alongside her husband's bastard child with a younger woman, Probably feeling some pretty justified jealousy. Uh, probably, you know, some complex feelings going on. A very complex situation. A weird thing. That would not be a situation anyone would really want to be in. 
And uh, so as a reaction to that, she wants Abraham to cast out uh, the woman. That's my interpretation. Now here's their interpretation. Uh, the child was physically mocking her in some way that made her so mad that she wanted to essentially kill, cast out and kill these people. Which one makes uh, Sarah seem a, a better person? <laughs> Obviously, it's mine. My interpretation. It's it's uh, it's just it's so painfully obvious. I don't see how how it could even possibly be interpreted any other way. And so that was a long digression. It wasn't a very um, it's not a very anti-religious. You know, it's not an anti-God or anti-Bible point so much as a a, a point at how juvenile the thought that goes into this text can be sometimes. So moving on. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah had said, hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. So God is taking Sarah's side here. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So God God took uh, Sarah's side and said, Ah, don't worry about them, Abraham. I know you're feeling a little guilty about it. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. I already promised uh, Ishmael that he'd have a nation. So, so what, are, what are you stressing about? Just listen to your wife. Cast him out. Now, my question is this. Let me ask you this. O Lord of foresight, what the hell was the point of making this whole situation in the, in the first place? Why did you do the, the weird Machiavellian uh, tell Sarah to have Abraham, um, you know, breed with uh, Hagar in the first place. What was the point of all that? They only did that because they were barren. Uh, but you knew, because you are the uh, uh, omniscient God, you knew that they were eventually going to have a child. So why did you do that, God? Why did you force them to, into this ridiculous situation with this uh, with this other woman? Is it is it some sort of reality show entertainment for you? Is that what it is? You know, if he, uh, by the way, if, if God ever answered any of these questions, <laughs> that would pretty much put, <laughs> put my doubts to rest, you know. Um, so anyway, instead of making Sarah deal with her husband having sex with another woman, uh, you know, under your orders, you could have just let them have a child at a younger age, by the way. You wouldn't have to have waited so long and done this miracle birth thing. You could have just done that gotten you know gotten all of it out of the way avoided this situation and been fine hagar and sarah would still be the best of friends hmm could it be possible now this is out here this is out there this is this is my theory this is opinion conjecture could it be possible that reality in this case had a little more to do with abraham justifying his horniness than with an all-powerful being suddenly completely lacking foresight. Could that be? I'm just going to put that out there. Could, could that be? No, no, that's ridiculous. All right, so since I've already spent uh, eons of time here on, st- on the first two points, I'm pretty much just going to read through the rest. No- nothing too notable happens. 
And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him, and lift up her voice, and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Pichol, Fichol, Fichol, I don't know, the chief captain of the, his host spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of the well, because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet I, yet heard I of it, but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. All these covenants are getting hard to keep track of. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What means these? What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Fickle, Fickle, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. So that was a pretty boring ending. Something about a well, argument about a well with Abimelech. They made up, they did some sacrifice, or did some sort of animal thing like you do. And that's the end of that chapter. So on to chapter 22. Okay, this uh, chapter 22 is incredibly famous. I'd be very surprised if any of you didn't know it. It's also pretty psychotic. Uh, so get ready for a journey here. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom, well, if you don't count his other son, but yeah, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. I'd say Moriah, but then, then we're talking about the caves of Moriah, the mines of Moriah, and that's, that's, that changes the story. And get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him unto the dwarves there. No. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. You know, I joked through that, but he was... <laughs> so God's saying, take Isaac uh, and go set, burn him. Sacrifice him to me. That, that's what he says. And Abraham doesn't have a response to this. 
Doesn't even, doesn't even talk back to God. Now remember, this is the same Abraham who I made the big point of earlier questioned God's morality and said, wilt thou uh, spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 righteous people? And he eventually haggled him down to 10. Um, but no, nope, doesn't care when it's his own son. Doesn't give a crap. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass <laughs> and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and saddled their asses, and uh, Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. You know, you could probably just wait and clave the wood there, so you don't have to carry it the whole way. Anyway, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, it's always the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So when you're lying to your men you brought with you, that's a good sign you know that this is wrong. If Abraham was absolutely convinced this was right, he would have said, yeah, hang, hang out here. I'm going to go murder my son like God told me and I'll be back and, uh, you know, grab lunch. Be thinking of what you want for lunch. Uh, I'll come back, um, and we'll, you know, we'll go from there. Uh, we could, you know, we could have Isaac for lunch. He'll, he'll probably be cooked perfectly tasty. So, so keep that in mind or not keep that in mind. You know, that, that's what he, he wouldn't lie. You know, if he thought he was doing the right thing, he wouldn't lie and say, uh, stay here. Me, uh, me and especially my son are really definitely 100% going to be back. In just a minute. Maybe, you know, maybe not me, but definitely my son. We're going to be back. Uh, just a question of when. Uh, yep. You know, you don't, you don't lie like that when, when you're doing something right. You lie like that when you're doing something wrong. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I skipped ahead, but I get, oh, he's laying... Uh, wow, I thought he was getting right to it. I'm sorry. And Abraham took the wood of his burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So they're not quite there yet. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Uh, here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? <laughs> and Abraham said, My son. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. So he just lies to him. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wooden order and bound Isaac his son and laid them on the altar upon the wood. Okay. What was the point of lying to him one sentence prior to the point where you're tying him up? Keep in mind. Keep in mind. Isaac is 35. Uh, Abraham is 135. So that means Isaac eventually agreed to this. There's no way that Abraham, you know, got the best of his son, this feeble old man, uh, and, and, and forced him into this. So obviously Isaac agreed to it. So what in the world was the point of the lie one sentence earlier? It, it just points out more and more how stupid this book is. 
makes no sense. So Abraham built an altar. Again, traveling altar, I'm telling you, hear me out. Bible would be half this length if everyone didn't have to build an altar, build an altar everywhere they go. Uh, they just, uh, you know, traveling altar, some wheels, uh, make it lightweight. And, uh, you know, Bible, Bible would be half as long. I'd, I'd be done by now. We'd be done reading it. You know how much altar building has gone on up to this point? Anyway. Uh, okay. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the son's just gone, do to do yeah, I'm going to get slain. Uh, and the angel of the Lord called him, unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. That's his standard response. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Bad freaking luck, ram. You were stuck in the wrong thicket. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a little paradox here. Adam Clark mentions the possibility that Abraham knew that God would just resurrect Isaac. So that's a possibility. Uh, if that were the case, what the hell was the point? God would know, Abraham would know, and it would not even be a test of faith because there would be no faith to test. Abraham would say, go go kill my son. Oh, yeah, all right, whatever. Uh, you know, I, you're just going to bring him back anyway. What's the point? Okay, no, I can do that. I'm not, I don't, don't have any plans. I'm not doing anything. You haven't invented Xbox yet, so I got nothing. Um, so we have a... Uh, there's also the case that uh, that Abraham was just psychotic for doing this, like he was some sort of madman. I think I don't know if anyone, I can't say anyone in particular who's made that case, but anyone could that he's just some sort of crazy person for doing this. Who would murder? Even if you're ta even if you're, if God is commanding you to do this, why in the world would you do? It's horrible. Why would you do that? You would say, uh, God, why would you want me to do this horrible thing to my son? What has my son done? That's what I would say. And, I, you know, religious people are going to say this is a very simple interpretation. And uh, I should really ponder the deep nuances of the faith that Abraham had here. Okay, maybe. There's a paradox here, though. So the more sure that Abraham was that Isaac would not be killed, the less of a test of faith this was. So if if he knew nothing was going to happen, all this is, at best, is a waste of three or four days. However, the less sure Abraham was, the more that makes him a psychopath and a murderer, and the harder this ridiculous story is to believe. Uh, in my view, incidentally, I think the evidence leads us more toward Abraham knowing what was going to happen, and thus the whole situation being pointless. I think this because... God has already promised him that he's going to have his seed carried on through Isaac. He's already promised him th and uh, and Sarah thousands of heirs and all this. So I think <laughs> Abraham was the whole time was probably like, uh, okay, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go kill my son, wink, wink. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, God, 
You want to play this little game? Sure, I'll go kill, quote-unquote, my son. And uh, there's no chance that you're going to, at the last minute, spare his, spare my, uh, stop me and spare my son. There's no no way. Yeah, I'm going to kill him. Right, got it. Um, he already knows all this. And God, I think, just didn't really bother with it. Just didn't really... He didn't really remember that he told Isaac that uh, Abraham that not once, but about a hundred times, as I pointed out. So we got to talk about this ridiculous uh, thing. Actually, hold on, I'll finish reading. You you think about it. Uh, so they sacrificed a ram, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day. To this, to this day, when that was written, so couple hundred years later um it's probably not called that anymore to be honest it's probably called something else in the mount of the lord it shall be seen and the angel of the lord called unto abraham out of heaven the second time and said by myself have i sworn saith the lord for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son thine only son that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And he's already promised Abraham all those things a hundred times. I think God just has a terrible memory. He just doesn't really remember what he's probably, he has so many covenants. He has his fingers in so many covenant pies uh, that he just, he forgets. He forgets these things. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Uh, Remember, just for a second, just because I've cheated and I've read ahead, remember that this is called Beersheba. Uh, I'm sorry. Second, remember that it was named Beersheba in the last chapter uh, with that little deal with uh, Abimelech. It was named Beersheba. Just just hang on to that little morsel. 20. And it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy, thy brother Nahor, Huz, his firstborn, and Buz, B-U-Z, his brother, and Kemuel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethuel, and uh, I didn't make any of those names up. And Bethuel begat Rebekah. These eight Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Ruma, she bare also Teba and Graham and Thahash and Macha. So that was pretty pointless at the end there. Okay, so to sum this up, Christopher Hitchens talks about how there's there's some sort of ritual, uh, probably in the Middle East somewhere, I'm guessing, or maybe not, I don't know, where people uh, mimic this this act of Abraham with their own children. They hold knives to their children's throat throats. And this is absolutely psychotic, and Hitchens is outraged about this, and with good reasons, uh, good reason. Um, there's no... Remember, it's called faith. It's called religious faith. So there is... At least a morsel of doubt. There, there is. And if there's a morsel of doubt, you do not risk killing your child, an innocent person. Well, anyone, anyone's child, an innocent person. You do not risk that for something you're, you don't absolutely, completely know. And furthermore, if God is talking to you 
and telling you to do this, you can be quite sure that you're actually just insane and not that there's some god telling you to do this. You can be pretty sure of that. Uh, and if not absolutely sure, you can certainly err on the side of not being a psychotic murder, just to be safe. So uh, this is ridiculous. Those are my thoughts on that. Uh, there's probably a lot to be said about this. Um, uh, maybe I'll come back to it if there are comments or anything like that. Talk about it. So on to chapter 23. And this is, I think, maybe I'll do some sort of a award show at the end of this. This may be the most pointless chapter in the book that we've seen thus far. I, <laughs> It's entirely possible that there will be 300 chapters more pointless than this one, but I'm just going to try to read through it. There's almost nothing to be talked about here. Uh, or, there might be a couple things, but I've already gone. I'm already running along, so I'm just going to read through it. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. The, there's a reason we don't say years like that anymore. That's pretty awkward, cumbersome to say. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjatharba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Get out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead, none of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, Zach Ephron, the son of Zohar that he may give me the cave of Machpelah. They probably pronounce it Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. And Zac Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth. And Zac Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that was that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me, the field give I thee, and the cave that is therein I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people give, it, give I it thee, bury thy dead. And it, I think the whole time he's probably just holding a dead Sarah in his arms, having these conversations. Maybe she's in a wheelbarrow or something. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land. And he spake unto Zac Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, but if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Zac Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Zac Ephron, and Abraham weighed to Zac Ephron the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And the field of Zac Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure. Unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, 
before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. So that's the end of that chapter. I can sum up that big jumbled mess of words I just read in probably three sentences. Sarah dies, sentence one. Abraham wants to bury her, sentence two. Abraham buys land from these people to bury her, sentence three. That's it. That That's all that happened. They went back and forth for an hour. Uh, please, let me give you money. No, I'll give you it. Uh, no, no, let me give you money. No, it's yours. No, no, let me give you money. Okay. That was it. Why you had to write a Bible uh, for this. That was a weird thing to say. Well, it made sense in my head. Why you had to write a chapter uh, of this in the Bible, uh, the most holiest of books, I do not know. I cannot think of anything we learned from this. Okay, moving on to chapter 4, because uh, we got to get right on going here. Okay, last chapter of the day, chapter 24. And Abraham was old, and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make these... <laughs> under under my thigh? What? That is really odd. Uh, no, uh, sir, how about how about your knee? No, no, under my thigh. Ooh, uh, ooh, your sweat. Uh, how about uh, your your ankle? Your any anything? Your hand. Take my hand. Take. I'll kiss your hand. Anything. Nope. Put your hand under my sweaty old man thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, the God of sweaty old man thighs. That thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Yay! I wish we had some, you know, some sound effects, some party noises, some uh, applause, cheering. We have here the first instance, uh, documented instance of racism in the Bible. Uh, you know, there might have been some implied racism earlier, I don't know, but this is the first blatant uh, racism. Hear this again if we replace uh, Canaanites with another type of people. Listen to how this sounds. Uh, Abraham's about to die. His last dying wish is, look, servant, who has his hand under my thigh, swear to me by God that you will not let Isaac marry a black chick. That's all. That's all I want. That's my lot. That's my dying which just do not please let my son marry a black chick. Like, imagine how racist that sounds. Like, is Canaanite any different? That's a Like, there's not one good, acceptable Canaanite in all the land? You know, like, what? That's, uh... It, <laughs> I just, I felt, I felt excited. The first documented, tangible bit of racism. Okay, moving on. And uh, the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou, beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. So he's saying, just don't bring him back to the Canaanites, to Canaan, the land of Canaan, Canaania, Canetopia. Uh, don't bring him here no matter what. 
Even if you can't find him a wife, do not bring him here. He really doesn't like Canaanites, and I don't really know what the reason for that is. Going back to Noah, I guess. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the sweaty old man thigh of Abraham his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of all the camels of his master, and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose, and went to Mesopotamia, unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and shew kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the wall, uh, by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels a drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast shewed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, the first woman to do this was much too fat. So then he said, Let it come to pass that the second damsel, to whom I shall say, Drink my water, will be... <laughs> no, okay, the first one came, uh, Rebecca came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. And so she's related to them in some way. They really don't marry a lot of people who aren't related to them. I guess that's that residual uh, incest from uh, the times of Noah, when everybody was born from two people. Well, I get, technically they're all related. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. A complete unknown she was. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had done giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight, and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold, and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? Notice, uh, notice he didn't say, Oh, what's your name, fair maiden? He said, uh, A woman. Whose property art thou? <laughs> and she answers, Why, I belong to Bethuel. <laughs> and she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough, and room to lodge in. You know, it's hard to find good provender these days. 
And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and of his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran, and never was seen again, no. and told them of her mother's house these things. And Rebekah had a brother. His name was Laban. And Laban ran un out unto the man unto the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hand, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the candles at the wall. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house, and room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, Speak on. And he said, they're really into personal, the, to the pronouns there, you know, they're, he said, and he said, and he said, and they're all he's, they don't talk about, the women don't talk, so they just, and he said, and he said, and you don't know who's saying what. And he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and manservants and maidservants and camels and asses. And said, okay. Uh, you know, I'm just going to skip. There are 12 verses here, maybe even 14, where uh, the servant just says exactly word for word what just happened three minutes ago. He pretty much just says, and he said to me, uh, I'll send an angel with thee and thou shalt be clear, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I came to the well and the one. So, so he couldn't just say, uh, again, more, more things to cut down the length of this Bible. It would be really helpful. I think people would read it a lot more if it was like, I don't know, 90 pages. Uh, they could just say, and the servant told Bethuel all that had just happened three seconds ago. No, they have to do word for word. And so I'm going to skip down. And now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself down to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things, and they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night, and then rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And then they had to deal with the last tiny problem, uh, just minor detail of whether or not Rebecca actually wanted to go. <laughs> after they've already made all these plans. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Oh, good, because you were going anyway. Glad you agree. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. 
One day I'll figure out what that means. And Rebecca rose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and they followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well Laharoi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is that that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is thy master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself like women need to do. Because, uh, you Women showing their faces? Come on. What do you think we are? And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Weird. Sarah just died. They couldn't uh, find a new tent. Uh, maybe take the parts of that tent, build it into several different tents. And took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. Uh, loved her. And Isaac was com comforted after his mother's death, because that was the important thing. So that's the end of today's reading. Uh, man, a lot to digest there. Um, got pretty boring after the uh, Abraham sacrifice thing. That was pretty uh, pretty interesting thing. So, as usual, send comments to uh, comments at thomasinthebible.com. And uh, it's been a great first week, and I think it'll only get better. Um, again, send me tips, uh, commentary, what, what, how, how good of a job, how bad of a job I'm doing. Uh, I probably won't listen to any of it, um, but maybe I will, no, <laughs> if it's constructive. <laughs> um, so, yeah, until uh, next time, uh, see you later.